Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Podcast, presented by Paul Spain, Bradley Burrows and guests. Welcome to the NZ Tech Podcast. This is episode number 33. Yeah, baby, baby, baby. Alrighty, so a big, uh, a big little news night uh, on the uh, on the NZ Tech Podcast tonight. Windows Eight really takes um, takes the focus, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's is it all that anyone's talking about now? There's a lot. There's a lot going on, but Windows 8 has certainly been the been the uh, the highlight of the last week, hasn't it? So um, we will cover that off and a bunch of other topics. Uh, we're going to chat a little bit about Apple iCloud, um, some new tech coming through from Intel. We talk about HP, Red Hat, and uh, a few other news topics. As usual in the studio tonight, we have... You've got Brad Burrows, and I'm on the sound desk tonight. <laughs> this is scary. I know. And, and what are you up to, Skip? And, and I'm sitting over here in the corner enjoying the scenery from this angle. We've swapped roles, haven't we? We have. Skip Parker hands off the audio for a change, so... We just hope that you guys out there can hear us. <laughs> uh, and myself, Paul Spain, uh, in the studio once again. So, um, yeah, welcome along, everyone. Uh, I think we've got an interesting, uh, an interesting lineup of topics to uh, to chat through tonight. So, first up, I think let's dive in and chat a little bit about Windows 8 now. A whole lot of news came out last week at the uh, the Build Conference in uh, in California. Never heard of it. <laughs> Now, Brad, you're come on Mr. During, the, during the day. You wear your Microsoft hat. I do. What can you tell us about Windows 8? What's what officially are you allowed to tell us? So, I would love to tell you so much. I really would. But we, as a as a Microsoft employee, we've all been told that we cannot speak about it. So, for the conversation for this podcast around Windows 8, the reason I'm on the sound desk tonight is that I'm actually going to remove myself so you two can talk about it, and I'm I don't get fired then, which would be quite nice for me. It, it has been a touch disappointing because uh, Brad comes in the studio beforehand and we're like, dude, tell us about Windows 8. And he's like, no, nah, nah, not telling you anything. It's like, oh, come on. Yeah. Nah, not For, telling you anything. Fortunately, there's been so much news out there and there are so many hours and hours of videos from oh, the, uh, yeah, the conference. It's, it's kind of like there, are, there is so much, there is plenty of information out there. So um, that, that's definitely you know, a good thing. Um, and yeah, I guess we look, we look forward to uh, those rules being changed a little bit and, and everyone being able to openly talk about all the tricks and all the, uh, the things coming through on Windows 8 in the future. Um, but for now, Skip, what were the, uh, what were the highlights for you of the, uh, the keynote, uh, last week? You were up at, um, it was 4am for the, for the for keynote us. on uh, Wednesday morning, wasn't it? Yeah. This is why we've all got flus, because we've been burning stupid hours watching this thing. So um, the keynote, I thought, just straight up, Microsoft actually did a keynote that was worthy of the label keynote. I mean, Bill Gates does some pretty cool stuff when he was involved there, but Sanofsky, I mean, a lot of people are saying, is he the new Steve Jobs? Maybe a little bit too soon to say that sort of Steven stuff. Steven Sanofsky is a similar name too. Well, that's right. But you know what? That guy nailed it. He actually made a really compelling presentation. Uh, the team that got him behind him and demonstrated stuff, Windows 8. Uh, I mean, I came out of that with, you know, I was excited. I was excited for a Microsoft product. And that's haven't been that way since Clippy was introduced for Office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, seriously. No, I, I agree. It was, a, it was a good presentation. And, yeah, d- you know, d- definitely of, of um, 
yeah, you you could you could compare it to a Steve Jobs Apple presentation and say that was a top notch um, a top notch show, and also that they had the they had the technology, they had a product to back it up, um, which really needed needed a whole lot more depth, obviously, than what you could catch during the keynote. But um, you what you pretty much watched the whole keynote, right? It was yeah. um, it was over two hours, wasn't it, the main it keynote? Was, it was a long keynote. And to be fair, I didn't actually notice how long it was because the information that was coming through and how it was presented was actually working really, really well. So um, some of the things that I noticed in the keynote, I, I mean, they, they brought, obviously, here's Windows 8. They demonstrated uh, the Metro. I mean, we've seen a lot of uh, this, um, I guess, interface in a few bloggers and a couple of the, from the Windows dev team, they've released a bit of stuff, but it was the first time that we actually got our hands on, in a way, seeing it in action and some of the thoughts around how the interface interacts and uh, especially how the interface interacts with other apps. So this is things like being within an application and being able to, uh, I guess, share data between those applications. So, for example, I'm in some photos and I want to share those with my Twitter applications. It's just built into the operating system itself that you've got these linkages between applications or I think what they call them trusts or something like that. So um, that was pretty, pretty, pretty that's cool. A, that's a new concept. I mean, the main new concept that, that we've seen and, you know, that people have been commenting on is the user interface, is this touch-friendly experience, the Metro-style user interface. That's sort of the most obvious thing when you look at it. Whoa, this looks totally different from Windows. Where's the start menu? Everything's gone. Um, This looks sort of like a cross between an iPad and a Windows phone and who knows what, uh, something from the future. But... Yeah, so I would say that's kind of the that's the obvious standout, isn't it? But you're right. There's, there's some pretty smart stuff in there behind the scenes, and that ability for applications to sort of seamlessly interact with each other is a, is really a new concept. Have we seen anything quite like that before? I, well, I liken this to the time that Apple brought the iOS interface into play. Like we saw that the uh, the idea of there are no buttons on the screen um, in terms of physical buttons, the whole interface is theoretically reconfigurable with whatever you want. So this was I look at this and go, this is like a generation. Can I say generation two touch interface? This is like the next generation of touch interface for me. It's taken some of the lessons from the generation one interface touch interfaces, and it's bringing a whole heap of um, smarts, the th- lessons we've learnt along the way, into it. So I'm I'm really excited. One thing I like: touch screen, the, the picture passwords. So it's a touch interface. Why don't we just make our passwords like a touch interface? So you have your picture, your favourite picture of something, to log in. You pick three points, or I think it's just three. I don't know if there's more. Maybe there's more. Who knows? Um, but you pick points on the picture that are your password. So you might go to log into my laptop. You've got to click on the dog's nose, the sun, and the um, the, the uh, beach ball on the beach. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's going to be it's, – it's one of these – it's like – it's actually quite a genius password system. And um, – is, from, is it secure though? If there, are, I mean, if you've got a reasonably simple picture, there might only be half a dozen points you could click on. So, well, I guess that, there's that, a question, but it, I mean, it does open up to over-the-shoulder password sniffing attacks and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> I had to stir stir the pot a little bit there. But I mean, um, but I mean, it's early days, isn't it? I mean, we're yeah. really just seeing a sample of what Windows 8 will be like when it releases at some stage next year. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, thing you know, things like the the, the login experience, the lock the lock screen that uh, you know that Windows comes into when you when you turn it on. Uh, you know, these things all have a have a um, an amount of freshness to them. Some of them draw from other experiences, and you know, we look at the new uh, the lock screen. On Lion, for instance, or that sort of start uh, screen, there are, there are some reflections of that as well. So one of the things that um, happened is they actually showed a whole heap of hardware devices along with this. So um, one of the things that I'm starting to hear a lot more from Microsoft, especially around the tech ed time, was the whole consumerization of IT thing and the whole idea of, um, at the end of the day, um, boring old laptops um, are going to be replaced by um, classy sort of devices so um, you know this is sort of this consumer edge coming into business equipment and so they brought along a whole heap of um, hardware to demonstrate this Windows 8 on and there was a range of stuff the one thing that blew me away was um, their first test box it was, I think it was actually in a Thermatec case by the looks of it home built device, SATA devices and everything else it actually took longer for the screen to warm up than for Windows 8 to boot. It was under two seconds. Yeah, we were chatting about that last week, weren't we? How how quick Windows 8 is to boot, and that you could see a, a machine boot in that sort of two two three second type time frame. And obviously, it varies according to what system you put it on. Now, in saying that, I put it onto I I got the developer preview. I've put it onto a um, let's call it a classic laptop now. I mean, it's a Windows 7 laptop. Um, and it's just a standard um, SATA drive in it. Um, the boot time on it makes Windows 7 look tired. It boots quick. And coming out of hibernation and booting is even more ridiculously quick. Like, it actually scared me the first time it happened. I thought, there's something wrong with my laptop. It didn't shut down properly. It just boots so quick. And this is a developer preview on legacy hardware. Far out. Just imagine what it's going to be like on the SATA stuff. Oh, this, it'll, the SAS, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see just how quick this is when it when it's finished. I mean, I would say a lot of that that part of Windows is probably you know that they're they're well along on on that you know particular uh, part of Windows development. We might you know I mean how much quicker can you get right? Um, but yeah, if new hardware can boot that quick, that's great. I, on one machine I tested it on, it took the machine about 15 seconds to get through the, the power on self-test, or, or post as it's called, and then Windows started booting itself. And yeah, the boot of Windows was maybe you know half the time of the power on self-test. So you know you had 15 seconds for the machine to do it, but and get ready to start booting Windows, and then you know say seven seconds to uh, to boot. But in the you know on Windows Seven that machine uh, you know would have been so much longer to boot and yep. um, yeah no it's 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 definitely one of the many uh, you know major sort of deep underlying changes that that they've made um, in in window in Windows Eight. Okay, we've both played with Windows Eight on the on a on a device and I'm actually playing with it at the moment. I've got it on my on my legacy laptop and I'm actually playing with it on a touchscreen Windows 7 touchscreen tablet. It's and very slick on there, isn't oh, it? I mean the incredible. you you know, I've seen some of those uh, touch add-ons for Windows 7 or or touch apps on Windows 7. And what I've found on on certainly a lot of the the older ones, um, admittedly the newest ones I've seen from HP uh, have been very responsive, but uh, this one on you know not brand new hardware is just 
is perfectly responsive. You touch it, and it responds just as quick as um, as as an iPhone or a Windows phone. You know, it's it's absolutely snappy. Very yeah. very 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 slick. Yep. So I mean, it, it's perfect because this device allows me to play with the whole concept of the full screen app scenario. So running it straight off Metro, and one of the apps I'm really digging at the moment, really digging, is um, the weather app that came with the developer build. Um, so it's the idea of it's a full screen. It shows me the weather. The default is Anaheim, California, but I can add my own city. And the data comes in off the net, so that's pretty cool. I can swipe to different cities if I've got them loaded up. The best part about this app is the experience behind it is the background changes to tell me not only the time of the day, but the weather conditions. So I'm looking at Auckland at the moment, and the time we're recording, the sun's still up. It's sort of late evening coming into the into night. So I'm seeing a scene of a beach because it's um, nice and sunny, apparently. It's, it's not quite, it's not quite the, perfect, is it, looking well, out the window? It is Auckland, after all, and the window we're looking at does actually have um, dark clouds, but I'm looking around the corner, I can see sun, blue skies, so it is Auckland. But, I mean, that that just shows the power of what they're trying to do with this Metro interface, and being able to power up full-screen apps as you get that whole... The backgrounds um, are pretty cool too, right? Because, oh. I mean, it's, it's, it's full live, it's a live video, you know, full full motion uh, video in the background on there. Exactly. Well, I, I'm I'm going to Manchester tomorrow, and um, in the UK, and so I loaded up on my Windows 8 device the weather for the cities I'm going to be at, and I scrolled to Manchester. I had a picture of an umbrella with rain falling off it. It was just like, oh, that is slick. That is so slick. Or you, if you've got rain, you can have rain hitting the this the screen, so it looks like there's rain hitting the inside of the screen. It is. Very, very cool, and it's quite simple, but it just shows the power of what they're trying to do here. Yeah, well, I think the, I mean, the, there's a huge opportunity for uh, for new apps that um, make use of this new Metro user, you know, user experience um, to come through and, and deliver something that is uh, visually much more appealing than the traditional applications that we're used to, right? And I mean, we, we haven't really seen anything yet in terms of any major productivity applications. We've seen email running on the um, Metro uh, UI experience, which looks nice, um, and calendaring and so on. That that stuff looks good. Uh, but it'll be, I guess, what we don't know is really around. We don't really know too much around Office, what its future is in terms of uh, moving into Metro. What um, you know, third-party developers who are writing, you know. Um, you know, business applications and so on, what sort of stuff they're going to come out with because they've only just seen it last week. So, you know, it really is brand new and um, I guess the opportunities are really out there for for the market to get in behind this. The question is, will people get in behind it? What are, what are your thoughts there, Skip? Well, I'll tell you what will make this work is... Um, is um Barmer says, developers, 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 and he actually said this the other day on the second keynote, <laughs> again, not with as much enthusiasm, but if they can get people writing apps for this thing, it's going to take off, because the, the device rises and falls on having decent apps. People don't necessarily buy, you know, if they're, they're looking at a, an, a, um, an Apple device next to a Windows 8 tablet device, they're going to look at what looks snazzy, you know, it's going to be, oh, this app looks great, it's going to be fun. Now, the thing that Microsoft Build Conference is about is getting information to developers. And so it was all very developer-heavy focused and all that sort of stuff. Right. They had about 5,000 developers there, didn't they? Yep, that's about right. All of which walked away with a um, uh, a free Windows 8 um, tablet, right? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 
I wish so I was got one a, of those guys. have got a few people on board already then. Oh, absolutely. I mean, people were cheering in this thing. They were excited about this product. Now, the thing that Microsoft had done, in just a nutshell in terms of development, is they have provided tools for people to be able to write this stuff, write the applications. And the tools they've written are so unbelievably powerful. Um, it's almost programming by numbers to a point. Like they were showing how they can develop code with simple simple commands, very simple commands. I just want to be able to grab this bit of information and Microsoft said, well that's a fair call, we'll write all the code for you, you just have to do one line of code to do that little act that we would normally take you hundreds of lines to write. So it's like Microsoft, you guys are smart. You actually have sped up the development of apps so quickly with your new tools. So um, I've just loaded up the new um, development um, build of Windows 8 with the developer tools, the light version, and I'm going to have a play with it while I'm in the UK. But it's um, You can write some apps while you're on the plane there, Skip. Exactly. Better than sleeping. No, it's not going to be any sleeping, I'll tell you that now. But yeah, I mean, the, um, the, the way that Microsoft have brought the power of development to developers, existing developers can continue their, their mindset, the way they program, um, and they've added some stuff to make it faster and better for them to be able to get to various parts of Windows 8. And they've also introduced tools that make it easy for beginners to get into it. I mean, it's not going to be hard for you to be able to develop applications. Well, they've also uh, opened it up. So you've got this um, 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 HTML5-based... or ability to you you know to write HTML5 uh, apps, which, you know, really, I guess, opens... um, up development of Windows applications to an audience that hasn't traditionally written for Windows, right? That are we, you know web developers and web designers and so on. They can actually start producing uh, these new Metro style apps, which I think is is, is actually a really smart move. It, I guess it brings um, you know the whole Windows platform to a, um, a much less proprietary space than than where it's been in the past. You know where where you had to, um, you know, write using uh, Microsoft's techniques and so on. Obviously, yep. there's still some of that that under, underlies it, but um, you know, you can use HTML now. The the one thing I was quite impressed with, and just a slight techie thing, is they um, they've developed their tools in a way that works with the graphical interface as well. So that whole concept of I'm writing an app with a, a rich media sort of graphical interface, something goes wrong with it. Um, but uh, I'm not so sure. But they've been able to build into their debug to be able to, to monitor these things. The ability to go, why did that graphic look really weird in that game, the 3D game that I wrote? So then they'd be able to allow you to break it down and work out why it went weird and tell you where it went weird. In the past, you just had to sit there going, oh, I'm just going to have to go through lines of code and try and figure it out. So um, they have done some very smart stuff to help developers develop beautiful-looking applications. That, so. that is an area where, which is Microsoft's forte, I have to say, is, you know, with Visual Studio and and Microsoft's approach to uh, two developers, I think the last few years has, you know, they have really come on very, very strongly in that space. And, you know, with Windows 8, we're really looking at, an, at, a, at a new operating system that, Sure, it's designed for users just to be a really slick and easy to use um, experience that sort of provides that cross between a full-blown desktop operating system and you know the the iPad type experiences and mobile type experiences we've been used to in the past. Um, but it also um, 
it also delivers to the developer community um, a platform that's very, very easy to produce applications on, right? Yep. And, you know, one uh, one aspect of that that I think we've probably spoken on on, on, on previous episodes that changes the picture for the end users um, and to, for the developers to some degree is this um, support for the ARM uh, processors, the chips that are in the iPad, uh, that are in most of our smartphones today. You know, if you think of that smartphone that sits in your pocket, most of the, you know, most of those phones actually have enough power that they could run Windows 8. You know, they've got a processor that's big enough. They've, they've you know, a lot of them have got enough RAM and so on. Obviously, the, the form factor isn't designed to uh, to run a full desktop operating system, but there's actually enough enough power in these small devices. So what it means is come the release of Windows 8 next year there is going to be a whole range of tablets and, and other touchscreen uh, devices uh, that should come in at, at a you know from reasonable price points you know right up to the really high end ones that'll uh, um, you know be tablets but they can replace a full blown powerful PC it's funny you should mention that uh, it doesn't need much to run on because this thing runs in a small memory space and the base for the preview was one gig processor it's like i'm sorry you you what this is going to run on a netbook this is going to run on a netbook fine and the the what they've done is a very clever thing where with some of the apps if they're written for the metro interface if they're not in the middle of the screen not being used they'll suspend them and when it means suspend it'll stop using memory or stop using processor power to sit in the background there and so then all of a sudden your machine doesn't end up bloating you know grinding to a halt you you know like you've got uh, your web browser open and you've left open you know 50 tabs that's 50 versions of of those uh, uh, chewing up memory yeah and so Metro doesn't do that right looking at your desktop there exactly that scenario there on your laptop there Paul (laughs) Um, but um, I mean this is this is great and thinking about it for the enterprise um, this is going to be a uh, a slick interface. I mean, you, if you've got a non-touch device, understand you're not going to have to be forced to use the touch interface. It'll drop you back to a standard sort of Windows so 7 it'll look type It'll more desktop. like Windows 7, yeah. Yep. Yep. But you get all the benefits of the um, performance gains and some of the other features. There's over 500-odd features they listed on one slide. And I know for the last week, bloggers have been trying to zoom into a photo of that slide to figure out what all the features are. But... Um, yeah, I mean, you're going to get all the performance gains they have made in Windows 8 on top of your Windows 7 device today. Yeah, it was interesting uh, that the uh, I think it was Stephen Sinoski who uh, who pulled up a netbook that uh, at the Windows 7 launch he had showed off, and he showed how that with Windows 7 on it. Uh, with Windows 7 just booted, it used about 400 megs worth of RAM. Yep. And then he booted that up with Windows 8, and it used about 280 megs worth of RAM. So it's really interesting that the um, the size of the operating system you know, is a lot smaller, and then it's got all the, their fancy sort of memory handling around Metro. So it is going to be a really snappy and... and um, um, nice operating system for you know for those who are uh, who are Windows based to operate. Um, lots of new features. A few other ones we can probably quickly chat through. Um, it's got some smart handling in there for three G and 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 four G um, sort of mobile internet in terms of the way it handles sort of data roaming and so on. There's all those sort of uh, mobile type things like near field communications uh, oh, that support, was very which sounds cool really interesting. 
That was a very cool demonstration. The whole Nearfield uh, business card reader sort of swiping it at the edge of the tablet. It read the business card. That was it. Mm. It's like, HC, that is pretty cool. Yeah, so there's a whole lot of possibilities there around payment systems and other things. Um, of course, it in- incorporates support for built-in gyroscopes, compass, uh, you know, GPS, which we've, we've seen in Windows in the past, but, you know, takes that um, a, a, a step further. Um there's spell checking built in. I think I've heard of other systems running that too, uh, but very handy. Um, <laughs> compatibility for Windows 7 apps, they said it's 100%. So it's not going to be a situation like when we went, say, from XP to uh, Vista and then on to 7 where there, you know, there, there were um, you know, a fair number of compatibility issues. Uh, they're saying pretty much 100% compatible application compatibility, which I thought was quite cool. Um, there's really a whole lot in there. I don't think we can uh, probably go into too much more detail, otherwise uh, we'll end up speaking about this for hours. But if you are interested in um, in checking it out, then um, if you have a look on um, on the nztechpodcast.com site, we'll have links to uh, a couple of blog uh, entries that I've put up. Um, there's one there on GeekZone and, and also on the PaulSpain.com site. Um, and those have links off to the whole keynote if you want to listen in. Um, and to the the build um, the builds Microsoft build uh, website, so there's a whole bunch of info there. Uh, last little bit that I thought was really cool was the uh, the lock screen on Windows 8 has a beautiful scenery shot looking down this road towards some mountains, um, and it's uh, it's Mount Cook. I know New Zealand's own Mount Cook featured all around the world on uh, on Windows 8. So I thought that's really cool. Well, I guess you've got to have a beautiful picture for a beautiful um, product. Oh, there you go. Speak <laughs> it up. No, it deserves to be spoken up. It is actually an awesome operating system. So um, I can see good. why the Microsofties, I'm going to call them Microsofties, have got this uh, this phrase that keeps coming out, they're super excited. I mean, this product <laughs> is actually quite exciting. I yeah. can see why they are. And Brad's been sitting in the corner, biting in the bit. He wants to say stuff, but he's not going to. And uh, I think we can bring him back into the room now. I'm sulking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm super excited. Uh, funny. So, right. yeah, yeah, you can get it. You can actually download this from. Um, I'm allowed to say this. You like. You can download this from www.buildwindows.com uh, is where you can get the uh, developer preview for the client and the server product. Cool. And we'll um, yeah, We'd we might chat a little bit about the Windows, the new version of Windows Server in a in a future uh, episode because obviously some cool stuff coming coming through there and in, in terms of virtualization and um, there's a whole there's a whole bunch of bits and pieces there. So um, yeah, actually, can I just throw one thing in here? I'd love to hear people's stories about them loading Windows 8, and I'd love to hear what hardware they're throwing it on. I mean, this thing sits in a, such a small space. What's the smallest bit of hardware in terms of, you know, I threw it on my 386 or something like that, that you've been able to run this on? I just want to see, want to hear some of these stories. Yeah, that would be interesting. Definitely definitely keen to hear that. So, yeah. And I know we've already heard from some of the listeners out there who have fired this up and, and have already been playing around with it and, and uh, you know, kicking its tyres a little bit. So, um, yeah, def- definitely hit us back with your, your thoughts on that, um, you know, how to get us via uh, our Facebook page, Twitter and so on. So that would be great. Now, um, Apple and iCloud. <laughs> I can talk, I can talk, I can talk. Can back in now. <laughs> I can talk. Um, what's happening there? That, that seems to be coming along. It's getting, uh, it's getting pretty close to launch, right? <laughs> well, yeah. is it? I mean... Yeah. 
gone very quiet, actually, to be fair. There's, there, look, the, the, the Mac Rumors sites and the various sites are sort of going out there at the moment saying, hey, look, there, there's something coming. But to be honest with you, I would have actually called that they would have actually done something by about now. I mean, I'm... Yeah, I don't know. I mean, Skip, what do you think? You've been doing a bit of reading on this one as well, haven't you? I, I've heard rumours <laughs> that the the, uh, the beta and all that sort of stuff, the early stuff they've been playing with iClouds, actually sitting on Amazon and Azure. Yeah. And I, I mean, they did the promo at uh, Steve Jobs did the big talk up saying we're building these data centres in the States and they showed pictures of these massive data centres. I mean... I'm hoping that that's paying off for them because they seem to be throwing a lot of money into it. So Lion, the next version of all the the updated release to Lion 10.7.2 is in beta right now. And that's apparently got all the iCloud services built natively into it. That's what we're hearing, yeah. Yeah, so that's basically coming through. And that, that's in beta. 10.7, so 10.7, which is, which is Lion, which is what the world got, got quickly followed by 10.7.1, which fixed a whole lot of security issues. And they're hoping that 10.7.2, well, we know it's got the iCloud stuff in it, but they're hoping that it fixes some other performance and a few other little niggles in there yeah, as well. Yeah, there's, there's definitely still sort of a, you know, we're hearing out there's still a bunch Ironing of issues out, that hey? people are having with Lion. And, you know, it's almost like a late beta release in terms of you know just the the complaints there are around some of those features with Lion but it is very early days it hasn't oh, it been out too long so um you know I I would think some of those fixes are going to come are going to come through pretty shortly and hopefully that 10.7.2 release will uh, yeah. will smooth things over a bit with uh, with Lion I mean I, you know, I've been using it quite a bit myself and uh, yeah it's it's mostly been okay but I wouldn't say that it's it's bulletproof just yet so No and I mean look, I I really want to see the iCloud integration into the iOS. I think that's going to be massive for, for getting them into that cloud services. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be huge like other operating systems are starting to do as well now. They'll, um, yeah, it'll, it'll give them a step up as well. Definitely. Alright, um, now Intel have been showing off um, well they, they had their conference last week didn't they, the same time as, as Microsoft had their conference on um, Intel had a conference going on yes. in, um, in California as well right? Yeah there's, look, there's two interesting sides to this and I'm, I know you're probably going to cover one angle, I'm going to cover the other one, so I'm going to they, they've announced a new processing type so they always give code names and they've got one called Claremont now Claremont, the one thing about this is that everyone's going ultra low power they were saying that Claremont can be powered off a solar panel-sized postage stamp. So pretty much you can run the entire I think CPU. you mean a postage stamp-sized solar yeah, panel. I got there. I've got the flu, so I'm <laughs> drugged up. I want to right, see that postage stamp arrive in the mail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, well, what they're, actually, what they're going can through... Can it power the, my letter? Could, probably could, actually. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, what they're trying to say and what they're doing now is that they're building these really, really powerful, small, low-powered CPUs, which is what ARM's managed to do for a lot of their devices. And hopefully we're going to get away where we're going to have to have fans and, and tablet devices. Um, we're going to have those iPad styles on, on Wintel-based devices, which should be, um, CPUs, which should be really, really good. Armtel. Uh, Armtel, yeah. So the, the, the flip side of what they also announced, which was at the Intel conference, Mr. Spain was... At the Intel conference. Yes. Oh, yes. Well, there, were, there was a little announcement there with Google, wasn't yeah, there? Yeah, there was. Yeah, so it sounds like um, Google uh, climbing close to uh, Intel or vice versa. And, uh, yeah, they're releasing um, the plan is to bring Android out on uh, on the Intel chips, which is interesting. It's, it, it's sort of like... Microsoft was Wintel for X number of years, and then suddenly they've gone into ARM as well now, so you've got Intel and ARM. 
Intel used to be only Microsoft for quite a while, and now they're going into bed with Google, which is yeah, it's interesting. The, the 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 world's changing at the moment. It's very uh, it's good times to watch it. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, we're always talking about the competition, and 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 this is the signs that there's a lot of competition in the you know in the in the space, and you know everyone's jostling for uh, you know for positions um, that will set them up for the next few years and you know we are really seeing a lot of a lot of change come in and you know at the moment we're looking in that tablet space um, and you know Google are, are clearly working you know as hard as they can to try and uh, establish some some dominance there but they haven't been as successful as they have in the mobile phone um, space and you know I guess they're, they're hoping uh, by an alliance with Intel that this this is going to uh, um, you know help them out in both of those spaces as well. So uh, next next up on the agenda, um, some news from Hewlett Packard um, around local uh, data center. Yeah, so they were going to spend sixty million dollars and build a massive replacement data center in Tuakau. Is that yeah, Tuakau? Yeah, and pretty much they were going to um, build it all out and consolidate everything down there. Now they've reversed that. They've scrapped that idea. They're going to upgrade the existing Auckland data center, and then look for additional services around the Auckland region. Skip's going to jump in on me here. Tuakau. <laughs> yeah, it is Tuakau. I just checked. Actually, it is Tuakau. They're going to have it Tuakau. Is it a yeah. case that they finally figured out where it was? And went, uh, <laughs> no, we're not going to put it there. Sixty million dollars they were going to spend. I, so, I think it makes sense to invest more money where they've already got infrastructure, where there's already. You know where it's going to be close to where people, uh, you know, to the main sort of data backbones and things like that. Uh, you know, it makes a fair bit of, a fair bit of sense to actually, you know, keep their core core stuff in Auckland, uh, which is where IBM and others have their main data centres, and then maybe just you know scatter, um, you know, maybe some smaller data centres around the sort of uh, Wellington Christchurch type things. So that would be my my thought. What do you think, Skip? I think it's increasingly. It's becoming increasingly difficult to find a location in the country that is disaster recovery proof. Yes. Um, I mean, the Christchurch thing, I think, really took a few people by surprise. Um, we, we were probably lucky in the sense that Christchurch's, uh, some of Christchurch's core data centre infrastructure was out to the west towards the airport more. Um, but, yeah, the... Um, it, it's got to be hard because I mean in Auckland we have we had that jolt in Auckland a little while back from the um, from the volcanic field, um, which was a small jolt and tipped over someone's latte and so yes yeah, so there's that bit of joke, but in terms of disaster planning you got to take that into consideration think what's going on with the whole of the country, and how do we actually create centres that are in the safest places possible in the country, so that we've got that data backup space. And I'm just wondering if maybe HP's come to the th- thought process that actually there's not really anywhere suitable in New Zealand that's going to be cost effective. So maybe we'll replicate some of that data over in the States or other parts of the world and just use their international fibre capacity. I mean, maybe that's what, what they're thinking is. But um, yeah, it does make sense to throw all your money a bit more into the Auckland, into the Auckland scene if that's where you are. I mean, yeah, to a cow. I mean, it's yep. kind of nice. I'm, I'd, I'd be a system admin in Tuakau. I have no idea where Tuakau is. I need to big map it now. As long as I can get fibre to my Xbox Live connection, I'd be fine. Yeah, well, that's the Pro- problem is they might only have dial up there at the moment. 
could be a bit hard to run data center off a 56k modem. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure that's I'm sure that's something that they've uh, they've looked at. But uh, yeah, no, in, interesting to see because IBM have recently, of course, launched their new uh, data center in Auckland, which I think was a hundred million dollar data center. Right. Uh, so there's a fair bit of investment going into um, you know the, these local data centers and um, you know being you know positioned for. Um, um, I guess that advent of people wanting to move to uh, hosted sort of private cloud type solutions and 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 so on. So that's uh, quite quite interesting. Oh look, every second warehouse out at Albany is a data center, and, well, and there's data centers, and then there's data centers. Yeah, there's my house I could class as a data center. All well, these. your yeah. house probably is better than some of the data centers <laughs> that's in Albany, to be fair. But um, there's probably more equipment in there, your house than there isn't some of those. But yeah, I mean, there's there's the really good data centers out in Albany, and then there's a few that are just sort of uh, sitting on shelves and got power leads into the back of a warehouse. So who knows? All right, now um, Fedora 15. It's out in the wild. Yeah, what are you? What are your thoughts? It looks really, really cool. But I, look, I mean, when I was prepping for this and I was reading what what it was about, what's the um, joint Nokia project that they did with the Linux team? Um, it's called Migo. Migo. It looks like Migo. It's running GNOME three. So, just for those who aren't familiar, what what is uh, what is Fedora project? What what, what you know? So it's uh, done by Red Hat. And they've come out. Sorry, I'm just going to drop it's my. A fla- it's a flavor of Linux, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a flavor of um, Linux. And um, the Red Hat team have had this out, and it's public and it's free. Um, they've been doing various iterations. It's always been playing second fiddle to Ubuntu. Um, so Ubuntu's had all the sort of publicity, and this has been quietly brewing in the background. Um, they're using a lot of the latest um, sort of kernel versions of Linux and they're using a lot of the latest manage, um, GUI managers so there's two flavors that really most people use which is KDE and GNOME and this one uses GNOME 3.0 and it looks like Mego off um, the Cement Nokia um, Linux variant it is really really nice looking so this is out in the wild you can go to the Red Hat website and download it um, it's uh, 32 and 64 bit and it is a, a really decent looking version of an OS and I'm wondering whether it's going to work on a tablet device because it looks very very tablety interesting interesting well yeah I, I don't know about that I don't know whether they're whether that geared up when you look you know the apps and so on that run on it I mean they're probably a few but I you know I think most of the apps aren't really uh, touch-friendly. Interesting you should mention Nokia and Mego, though, uh, because uh, Nokia's uh, N9 handset is uh, is in the process of being launched here, I think, in New Zealand. Uh, there's been a deal uh, between Nokia and Vodafone picking that one up, I believe. That was a beautiful segue. Oh, I'm just stunned at how smooth <laughs> that was. You know, you should be in the media. You funny guys. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, you guys have probably read a little bit, and and I mean we haven't been uh, we haven't been handed one of these units yet to have a little bit of a play with. But you know the feedback on Mego, which is um, the Linux-based operating system that was sort of a tie-up between Intel and uh, and Nokia, and who was the other player? There was another player in the in the mix. There was there, another one, yeah. Um, who I've forgotten. I guess Siemens was, was it Siemens? I think. Uh, not sure about that, but it was sort of in, in competition to. Um, uh, Nokia's existing um, operating system, which 
is symbiont. Symbi- symbiont. symbiont. Sorry, we've yeah, got no brains today with so, this. So yeah, flow. we're a bit we're a bit slow. Um, so yeah, that, that was sort of the Linux, uh, you know, um, co- competition or, or alternative to Symbian, which uh, yeah is coming through on this new Nokia N9. Is it? There's an yep. N9, yes. um, and there's also going to be a Windows Phone handset coming out on very similar hardware. We're we're uh, we're waiting on as well. So that'll be interesting just to see how that comes through. Um, but it, that is quite a slick looking operating system but by the sounds of it may not have too much of a future with Nokia putting most of their eggs into the Windows phone basket. It is an odd one eh? I mean I um, the N9 is no undoubtedly probably I'm going to just I'm just going to call it as it is it's probably one of the best handsets in the world. Have you had a go of one? I haven't initially had a go of one. I've only seen the photos of it. No, I've only seen the photos. Um, it probably <laughs> runs like rubbish. <laughs> Who knows? But, but, I it, mean, but, it, but it looks hot, right? I mean, it just... It and is and just... The, software look, the software looks good, doesn't it? I mean, in some ways it reminds me of, um, of WebOS in that it's a new operating system that is actually, is actually a quality you know, operating system and paired with the right hardware. Wow, pretty cool. Yeah, and that's probably the big thing for me is that you mentioned WebOS, and are we going to get into a situation where we have a launch of a product and it just gets shut down? Because we know Windows is coming to the N9 variant. Yes. So the question is, do we rush to get this device? Is it compatible to upgrade to Windows if we think that it doesn't work very well under the the Mego device i mean pretty unlikely isn't it you it's know? probably unlikely and so i think and I mean, in, in any official um manner anyway i think on any given day i would have run to the to vodafone and said oh, i want one of those because they are very slick yeah but knowing that the windows version is coming out it's kind of like uh don't know so i have a question for you i mean Vodafone, what, what happened to Telecom in two degrees in these? In these? What, does anyone sort of know why? Because I, w- I would have loved to have seen the Nokia potentially go to two degrees. Because, you know, um, Vodafone are quite um, top-heavy on their feature smartphones. Right. Yeah, well, I think when you, when you look at Vodafone, they're such a big company globally that they carry a lot of clout with the Nokias and the various handset vendors. So that sort of gives them an ability to, to um, you know, probably to dictate a little bit, uh, because when you when you look at it actually in comparison, Telecom New Zealand and and two degrees, but even even Telecom who we see as a huge company, one of the biggest you know companies in New Zealand, right, um, is actually pretty small on the global scale of things. Yeah. So the ability for Telecom New Zealand to come in and negotiate and say, oh, we want this handset at the same time or etc. as Vodafone, um, they just don't carry the clout. And I, I heard from a telecom guy, it was actually a sales manager at Telecom at a, a breakfast thing, the reason why they don't carry the iPhone officially is because they actually can't sell enough to reach the agreement for Apple. It's like the agreement is they have to sell a certain number of handsets into the market to be an official Apple reseller. There's just not enough of a market in New Zealand for them to be able to reach those targets. However, Vodafone have a uh, global agreement. A glo- right. global agreement. So yeah. New Zealand just contributes to that global agreement, so they've got the phone. So that's fine. And it just makes sense. It's like, oh, okay, I can see why Telecom or Two Degrees can't carry these devices. They just don't have the agreements. Mm. But going forward, that, that leaves... Um 
that leaves you know what what may become the sort of the small well they are the smaller networks now that leaves Vodafone's competitors at a disadvantage in terms of being able to get the uh, the same handsets potentially because uh, they won't be able to get their hands on the same devices. Well, uh, that all depends. I mean, obviously, that's for the for the Apple products, but for your Android and Windows phone devices, that might mean something completely different. That could be an opportunity for them as well. Because, Maybe, but yeah. I mean, if Vodafone's got that global clout, then they have true. the ability to do that potentially with any vendor. Yeah, just, true. Just a thought. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we will wait and see, but, uh, you know, in this case, it's certainly Vodafone that have come through, uh, you know, with the N9. We haven't seen any, any announcement from others. Uh, also, devices like the, um, the Samsung Galaxy S2, that came out first with, uh, with Vodafone, and then we've seen that uh, added to the XT network or telecoms network, um, you know, at a later date. Alrighty. Um, other bits and pieces of news um, in the last couple of weeks, we, we've more of these sort of this litigation. Uh, Apple uh, getting um, getting sued by HTC after the the patents that HTC managed to acquire uh, through Google. Uh, we've seen uh, Samsung and Apple who are having their big spats in Europe. Uh, where Apple managed to get some of the Samsung uh, products like the Galaxy Tab taken off the market. Um, in Australia, we're seeing Samsung actually sue Apple. Yes. So it's kind of the, the flip side. So, I mean, and it's the way these things tend it's to go. It's a mess. So, Absolute yeah, mess. Just, just a shambles, but, uh, you know, let, let's hope it doesn't cause too many problems. Um, and the other the other bit there in, in, um, in little news snippets, uh, we've seen some outages from uh, both Google and Microsoft with their cloud offerings in the past couple of weeks. So um, just worth, you know, keeping an eye on those things if you're, uh, you know, if you're interested. Uh, in in cloud offerings from a business perspective, it's worth just keeping a handle on on what's going on and you know what I guess what the risks are as well as what the benefits are of uh, of moving business services into the cloud. I wish there would be a cloud outage in the weather in Auckland. <laughs> it's just been a little bit too much cloud services in Auckland, to my liking. Yes. I don't know that you can book those in, but um, yeah, there you go. You, so, Skip, obviously, Skip's going away to Manchester for 10 days. Are you going to buy any hardware while you're over there? Actually, um, the place I'm staying at on the first night is right next to one of, um, I can't remember the name of the store, but it's a big mega store of everything. I oh, mean, I know that one. I can't remember the name. I used yeah. to go to it when I lived there. There's so, Dixon's, which is one of the good no. uh, electronic stores, but there, there's I some, what it is. There I think some, big, some big ones as well. It's, yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm going to go and have a look and see what sort of hardware there is on offer there. I mean, it's... Um, it's probably not too dissimilar to here, but I'd be interested to see what there is, especially around some of the new devices like, I mean, is Windows, the Windows phone being promoted in these spaces? Um, is the new tablet PC starting to emerge in these spaces? And looking at the websites, I'd have to say I'm not actually that impressed at the moment. And it's more expensive over there too because of the VAT. When, it, when I lived in the UK, you could always, you'd always pay £100 for, for a device. You've got 17.5% tax, on top of that. Although ours is getting pretty close to it But now. the thing is, is that when you'd compare that to the US, with the software and stuff, it was almost double. They just doubled the pricing of it. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, be, be wary if you do buy anything over there. Singapore, though. You're stopping through Singapore on the way? Going through Singapore. So I'll be interested to see what there is there. Um, Singapore can be a good spot, and they've got a low uh, low GST. I think it's about 3% or something. Oh, I want a 64-gig USB key, dude. <laughs> Might be 
be rating Simlim Towers. I don't know, Ooh. but uh, Simlim Square. But um, one thing that I'm really going to be interested to have a look at is I've I've developed some code, and I want to see how the code works from an international perspective on various mobile devices. So we've got a Windows phones and iPhones over there that we're going to be trying playing around with. But I want to see what um, what services are being offered by the other parties parties like Google and Bing and that sort of thing. In the UK, I mean, I just want to experience it because obviously down here in New Zealand, we get a, a subset of a lot of the international services from Google and Bing. What's it like in the UK? Is it a similar experience? I mean, do they get more services? Do they get less like us? Or is this very much a US-centric thing? Where So I'm going to be interested to see what that's going to be like and hopefully come back and say... Well, well we might dial awesome. you in, eh? We might try and dial you in if we can get the time zones working for me and Paul. We can maybe do a, a three-way Skype and do the show that way. Yeah, sounds good. Um, so I'm going to be review, like, reviewing over the week uh, the new HD Home Run so I just bought one which, and I'll talk about that on next week's show for a hardware review for you sort of media people which is Linux uh, app and sorry Apple and Microsoft friendly so they'll be quite good yeah, that, so this is the um, this is the TV tuner yep. that you hook into your network, and it lets you basically you know pull in freeview signals and then access it from various devices on your home network. Yeah, it converts a uh, a TV signal into an IPTV signal, so you transmit it across Cat Five. Um, but yeah, we'll go through it all next week once I know exactly how it all works and stuff. So excellent, we'll have that review. That sounds good. Um, and the other bit, which which um, I'll chat about soon, is that I'm uh, I'm moving. I've decided that. Um, my current no, no hold on, sorry. Let's correct that. Your wife decided you were moving, and I decided to. Uh-huh. <laughs> Skip's always, laughing with me. Always, yeah. a, always a joint decision here. And the re- the reason <laughs> now one of it. We married two. We know how this works. <laughs> so the, 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 there's a few reasons for it, but um, but the the reason that's of interest to those uh, to our podcast listeners um, that we chose this particular uh, the particular home that we've uh, we've chosen to. Uh, um, to rent is because it's in the UFB zone for the first uh, run hitting Auckland. So, so what does UFB stand for? So ultra fast broadband uh, is going to be rolled out around uh, certain parts of the country uh, very soon. Obviously, it's you know we know that it's not going to be rolled out in its entirety until 2019, but uh, between now and June next year. Uh, there are certain areas that will have the ultra-fast broadband or the fibre internet or fibre optic uh, based internet connections available and we have chosen a spot that's in that zone that's going to be getting that uh, fibre optic based internet. So I've done that you know, for a few selfish reasons, but also so we can report back on the podcast a little bit and talk about what it's like to be at the forefront of getting the uh, the ultra fast broadband in New Zealand. So uh, as that happens, we'll let you know. I don't know whether we're going to have to wait through to mid next year or uh, or whether they they will start rolling it out uh, in Hearn Bay um, very very soon. Which I'm sort of fingers crossed that uh, that will be towards the uh, the top of the list. So there we go. All right. Well, that kind of covers us for uh, for this week on the NZ Tech Podcast. We hope that uh, you'll join us again for the next episode. You can, of course, find us online, nztechpodcast.com. Twitter, our handle there is at nztechpodcast. We're also facebook.com slash nztechpodcast. We would really love it if you would uh, you would drop us a message uh, via any of those channels uh, or drop us an email uh, via the email channel, which is feedback at nztechpodcast.com. So thanks very much, and we'll catch you next time. Ciao, ciao. See ya. 